Have you had a great time since we started this teaching series, Karis? Look, open your Bibles to Colossians 4. Let me, let me show you something. If you've been under this ministry for a while, you know that this is one of our favorites. Colossians chapter 4 from verse 12. It's so powerful. If you know it by heart, come and prove yourself. <laughs> you do? You want to try? All right, let's hear it. Can you shout it out? Is stage right or sit right? Stage right, sit right. Is this stage right? <laughs> All right, try again. Perfect. Amazing. Now let's try it together. Colossians 4, verse 12. Are you there? It says, Epaphras. If you know, you know. <laughs> Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you will what? That you will stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Does that look like something you want for your life? That every time you look perfect and complete in the will of God. Hallelujah. It's possible. In fact, that is what he was praying for. I don't think he will waste all that time laboring in prayer for something that was not achievable. And one of the ways that this happens is with the effective teaching ministry of a church, of a local assembly. What we have today is a lot of Christians who have such passion for the Lord, a zeal, but without knowledge. Have you seen people like that? By the time you see them, ah, this one is fervent. Now say, let's, let me just with this guy you know they open their mouth yeah ah i can't forget the day i was i was in the bus and i was going to preach made up my mind this was one of the first times i was going to preach in the bus and i was like god please i have knowledge but let the zeal come <laughs> and i was about to open my mouth and then one guy got up praise jesus amen well, you know you just know that ah, god please help this guy and said, praise Master Jesus. I want to preach the gospel of Christ to you. You see, the Bible says, a man shall leave his father's house and shall cleave. I said, eh? I am not understanding. <laughs> Is this a, a sermon of marriage or the gospel, right? And I was just like, I wish I had spoken. But what a teaching ministry ought to do, and every church should do that. If you are in a church and you are not having a, a consistent, progressive curriculum where you can say, this is where I was last year, and this year, this is what I know. Ah, then, you're, you should, <laughs> then the church is not doing what they should. Are you with me? The church is a school. When they got saved in Acts chapter, chapter 2, the Bible says they continued in the doctrines of the apostles. There was a school. There was a curriculum. And I give everyone, if you're joining us for the first time, I give you three months. All God needs is your hunger and thirst. The most base desires of humans. I want to see your hunger. I give you three months. In fact, it surprises me what God does with this ministry. That I have to always remind myself that ah, they're not exactly mature yet. Because in six months, just some of you are witnesses. You know what I'm saying. In six months... You talk to the average vivifier, 
and you hear what they have to say about the gospel, like, oh, you'll be amazed. I have to remind myself, there's still much growth. You know, they're, these are, they're not the OGs yet, if there's anything like that. There's still much growth, but I give you three months. If you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're ready to receive the word, you will grow. Amen. Amen. So are you hungry? Yes, are you hungry? Yes, Say, I am hungry for God and his word. Hallelujah. I wish I had more time to, to teach this, so let me just get right into it. The, the teaching for today is loaded. And if I say it's loaded, I mean it is. Like, you're going to turn your pages, you're going to open the scriptures. I want to give you all the evidence you need to believe this one thing. So, what is the teaching for today? Can you shout it at me? Amen. Sounds very Gen Z, I know, I know. Um, but that is what it is. Do you know what, who these people are? You don't know? Okay, let's start with the first guy, Abe. This is Abraham. Ooh! <laughs> and when I think about the story of Abraham, and we're talking again about this series called Charis. When we talk about this man called Abraham, his story marvels me more than people think. Because we know him as the father of faith, we know him as this patriarch of the Old Testament and this saint who loved God, who was called a friend by God. And it's all amazing stuff. But when I read his story, I marvel at how easily he received the call of God and obeyed, at least at the start. What are the limitations of this guy? First of all, he was advanced in age. When God called him, he was, out, he was how old? He was 75. According to bio, biology and medical science, when you are 25, your brain is fully formed. Amen. Amen. Who are those who are fully formed? <laughs> who are fully formed here? Let me see. Okay, don't be shy. Yeah, you're not old, I promise. And when you are at this age, a lot of your, your decisions, your culture, your behavior is set. It takes the mercy of God to reform you otherwise, right? Another thing is that he was comfortable. He had his family in Haran with his wife. You know, they, they didn't have a child yet, but he was fine. He was where he was supposed to be. And now, historically speaking, according to Joshua 24, I think verse 2, he says that the Abraham himself, um, Terah, who is the father of Abraham, was on this other side of the river, and he and his family served other gods. Did you know that? Abraham's family practiced idolatry. So Abraham was coming from a background that gave all these limitations and he hears this voice of someone who is not, he, he doesn't have a personal relationship with yet. And that voice is telling him, stand up, leave everything you have, carry your family, go where? To a place I'll tell you. If it was that, okay, go to this place, this is where it is, at this location, coordinate this, latitude, longitude, that, it would make sense. In fact, take Google map, be going. It will make sense. But a voice you are not familiar with telling you to go to a place you have no idea about, that's crazy. And I'm sure his wife thought so too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, she, I'm sure he had his full of that. But the Bible said this about Abraham. That Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as what? Righteousness. What does this mean? When I read the story of Abraham, let me be honest. When I, when I hear how God praises him in the scriptures, I'm like, wait, oh, wait. I read the story of this guy, oh. 
Let's not be mistaken. It sounds so perfect on script. In fact, we're going to read it in Romans chapter 4. It said, Abraham staggered not at the promises of God. I said, wait, 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 wait. Am I reading the same Bible? Was Abraham perfect? Was he? Let me give you three reasons why. <laughs> Number one, Abraham actually lied. On two occasions. Now, we might, people argue that it was a half lie. Half truth. And I'll tell you why. So, in Genesis 20, and I think Genesis 12. Genesis 12, he had just left Canaan because there was a famine there. He went to Egypt. And, you know, do you know what it means for you to anticipate that they will collect your, your wife must be fine. That they anticipate, you are saying, see, as we go to this place and they will want to marry you and they will kill me. You're my sister, amen? <laughs> ah, men of God, they, they, they carry I go markets, forget. I'm living proof, amen? <laughs> Glory to God. He said, see, are you clear? You're my sister, oh. I'm your what? Aha. When there, and by the mercy of God, trouble these people they had plagues like even before Moses came Egypt suffered plagues do you know because of Abraham and Sarah he lied and and people will argue it's not a lie at the end of the day the Bible tells us that Abraham um, and Sarah is because he even said it if you look at Genesis 20 verse 12 he said but indeed and this was when he was talking to the king Abimelech he said, truly, she is my sister. Oh, after they had found out about the whole thing, she's actually my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And before the law, this was allowable. This was how they were spreading. This is how they were multiplying before the law came to stop that, right? So in a, in a form, she was, it, was, it was true. But what was happening was deceit. In fact, let me give you an example of the difference between lie and deceit. A lie is that you, you actually... Okay, I think the difference between falsehood and deceit. Falsehood means it's just wrong. And you may not have, you didn't have the intention to deceive. You just said what was wrong. It can be both, where it was wrong and you had the intention to deceive. But you can also be right with the intention to deceive. If they are sharing food now outside and they announce it, they are going to share food for everybody. If you don't come, we, we give double portion to more people, triple portion. Then you now come, ah, ah. Pastor Kenneth, I heard that sharing food. What, what time is it? Oh, uh, it's uh, 5 p.m. 5 p.m. Oh, okay, okay. And then the person prepares for 5 p.m. person comes by 5 p.m. Nobody is there. Ah, Pastor Ken, you said it's 5 p.m. No, I was saying 5 p.m. Um, U.S. time. It may have been true. But the purpose was to what? To deceive. So Abraham had his issues. Amen. <laughs> Don't say amen to that. What's that? <laughs> Number two. Abraham actually went about to establish his own plan. Abraham received a powerful promise, such a visionary, prophetic word that looked through you and your family, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Oh, but God, you know who I am. You know, I, we don't have a child yet. Don't worry. I will settle you through you, every family of this world, not just your people. Everyone will be blessed through you. Ah. Oh, Okay, oh, and with Jesus' joy, he went about, told the good news, probably shared with everybody, Lord, come, ah, come, 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 come. This is what Jesus, this is what God told me. This, 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 and they were like, ah, 
How old are you, sir? I, don't worry. God will do it. Which God? Which of them? The one. That one. <laughs> he couldn't have said the God of Abraham. He was the reference anyways. <laughs> that one, Sha. Okay. Okay. Got to a point he was just stressed out. Imagine after the first nine months, maybe Sarah was even having small belly. And I said, is it, is it what I think it is? No, it's just Eba. It's, it's just Eba. No, no. Don't worry, Abraham. But we, we trust God. And then two years after, five years after, ten years after, ah. In fact, the Bible says that Hagar and um, Abraham, you know, sorry, Sarah spoke to her husband because the ridicule was a lot. Think about it now. You are going around probably telling everybody what God was going to do. Nothing has happened. And many of you, you have these experiences in your life where you know God has promised this thing. Why is it delaying? God told me this thing. What's happening? Like, do you know how old I am? Some of you, the age you are turning this year is scaring you, Abby. Like, at this point, this, this, this is still not... What is God doing? And she said, you know what? I can't allow my husband to suffer ridicule again. Let's come up with a plan. I have this handmaiden. She's pretty. She's Egyptian. Why don't you? Let's help God. Some of you have been like that. Let's help God do his thing. And the plan made sense. In fact, the Bible said it took, I think, 10 years before that happened. So they were still discussing this plan. Finally agreed. He had, hey, you know, he went in and fellowshiped with Agar, and he had a child, Ishmael, right? He, like, that was an act of doubt, wasn't it? It was an act saying, look, God, I heard your promises, but let me help you fulfill your own promises to me. Are you with me? So that happened. You can read it up in Genesis 16, 1 to 4. He went about to establish his own plan. And then outrightly, after Ishmael was born, ah, this God is <laughs> such an interesting, interesting God. In Genesis 17, let's read it together. And this is number three. Like he full on doubted God. Genesis 17 from verse 15 to 21. Are you there? If you're there, shout Shambhala. Okay. Just one person. <laughs> Are you there? Genesis 17. You're there? Perfect. And God said to Abraham, as for, your, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, specific, not Hagar, by this woman who has been called barren all her life. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Wow. Kings of people shall come from her. Look at that. What did Abraham do? Verse 17. Ha. There's, there's, <laughs> there's giggle. There's chuckle. The Bible says he fell on his face and laughed. Have you cracked joke that someone will fall on their face and laugh? Ah, no, this was serious. He said, eh? Enikbe? He said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. The NCV version says this, that please let Ishmael be the son you promised. Are you seeing what? There are people like that, oh. I've been there before. 
Where instead of saying, God, what is your will for my life? You shall do your own thing and say, God, bless my hustle. <laughs> I've done the work now, God, bless it. That's not how it works. God gives you the vision, gives you the word, gives you the direction and you obey. No matter how long it takes before you see it, you have to. Many of you have settled for Ishmael. You've said, this is what I have been able to do to help you. Let this be your plan for my life. How did God respond? Verse 19, God said, no, 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 no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. It's interesting that Isaac's name is laughter, right? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I will establish my covenant with him and an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then he graciously also said, I will bless Ishmael. Ishmael, you brought him into the mix. It wasn't his fault. I will bless him. And that's where we see the term El Roy coined when he, an angel met Hagar in despair after she had been sent out. You know, wrongfully so. So, again, this guy was not perfect. I hope you know. So why? Let's read it. Romans chapter 4. So why, why do we have all these commendations about Abraham in the epistles? Romans chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 1 to 4. Very quickly. Are you ready to open your Bibles? You're going to open a lot of scriptures, but they're going to be helpful for you, I promise. Amen. Genesis, sorry, I beg your pardon. Romans chapter 4 from verse 1 to 4. Are you there? It says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. Are you with me? We talked about this last week. God wants to strip you of every credit. Strip you of every boasting in yourself so that you look at him and say, it's you, Lord. It's always been you. Nothing that I could do. But what does the scripture say? I'm going to show you what the scripture say. When it says, what does the scripture say? He's referring to an Old Testament scripture. I'll give you some of the references. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for what? For righteousness. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as death. Do you know what that means? He's saying if you are working your nine to five and they say, you know, after you finish your day, say end of month, ah, Ogami, how far now? I say, ah, you know, be blessed. Thank you for your service. Glory to God. Ah, after all the insults on top of my 95, you deserve a salary, right? You worked for it. But he said, if you didn't work for it, then you don't deserve it. Are you with me? He's saying that this kind of righteousness that comes from God is not the kind that you work for. It's a gift. So Abraham did not work. He believed and his faith was counted unto righteousness. I'll show you how exactly he believed. Some of the cross-references to this, just write this down. Genesis 15, 6. says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Romans 4, verse 9. Which we just, which is the same chapter here. Galatians chapter 3 from verse 6. Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. James chapter 2 from verse 23. I'll take that again. Genesis 15, 6, Romans 4, 9, Galatians 3, 6, 
James 2.23. Amen. Now let's go a few chapters. This is the one that, that hits me hard. Romans 4. Same Romans 4, verse 20. This is what it says. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Look at that. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Are you seeing that? Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. Oh, glory to God. That's powerful stuff. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. We believe in this man, Jesus Christ. It will be counted unto us as righteousness. Now, I asked the Lord when I was studying this, I was like, Lord, I've read the account of this guy. Like, I know what he did. Why did you say in the account through Paul writing to the Romans that this man Abraham did not stagger at your promises when clearly he did? And one thing the Lord was showing me about this concept called faith is, look, at the end of the day, God is not looking for a perfect man. God is looking for the one who endures in faith in spite. When God looks at the narrative of your life, he's not just looking at moments where you made mistakes. He's looking at the whole procession of your faith. So even when you made mistakes, even when you were unrighteous, even when you did the things God didn't want you to do, when you stand up from that, remember the promises of God and say, yes, I believe. I'm 100, but I believe. God counts you as righteous. When he recounts your story, he says it's a story of faith. The one who endures to the end is saved. When it comes to faith, it's not just about the moment. It's about the perseverance of it. Praise the name of Jesus. When your, your faith story is counted, what would be said about you? Think about it. Like even This is God's perspective. You may have fallen on your face and laughed. And God will still say, you didn't stagger at my promises. How? Because you fell, when you fell, you got up and said, yes, I still believe. Are you following what I'm saying? This is powerful stuff. It helps you not to be discouraged that, yes, you doubted God. There are shadows of doubt. There are things where you're still, even now, waiting on the promises of God. But I want to encourage you, brother and sister, stand up again. And say, Lord, I believe your promises for my life. Oh, glory to God. And that is what is counted as righteousness. But let's, let's talk about this thing called righteousness. What does righteousness actually mean? And it means two things. Number one, right being. Righteousness is right being. And this talks about your stand with God, your right standing with God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 tells us that, I hope I'm getting the verse right, where it says that Let's open it. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I hope I got the text right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Ah, there we go. Are you there? For he made him who knew no sin to be what? Sin for us. 
in actual terms, to be a sin sacrifice for us. That what? We might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That the believer is called what? God's righteousness. Eh? That I can look at you, Sophie, and say you are God's righteousness. And look at you, Flames, and say you are God's righteousness. That's a big statement. But who? In Christ Jesus. So there's a right standing that when you, when you stand before God, God doesn't just see this person who is broken and messed up. If you believed in Christ, he sees you as he sees Christ. That's what he means. If truly Jesus took your place, even in your relationship with God, he took your place. So you stand as a son of God. Hallelujah. You can approach his throne of grace with confidence and boldness. Praise the name of Jesus. So there's a place of right standing. Many of you don't understand this. This is the reason why you can stand before a holy God and survive that encounter. Imagine this, that you are bacteria or you are a germ. And I use this when people ask me, what about this guy, Uza, who you know, was trying to help with the Ark of the Covenant? What was God mean to him? He tried to help. At the end of the day, the Ark was tilted and he saved it and boom, he just, just went like that. Why? That's unfair. And I explain. I'm like, this is not fair or unfair. This is about righteousness and unrighteousness. Holiness and unholiness. Even if a germ has the right intention to help the, a drop of detol, ah, let me just make sure this detol does not... What will happen? And it's not because the detol is bad. It's because it's too good. That's the point of holiness. Isaiah approached the throne of God and said, Hey, who is me? I am undone. In your translation, in Yoruba translation, it's more I'm finished. It's not there. But that was his response to the holiness of God. Immediately, he recognized, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Ah, we are terrible. We are messed up. There's a confidence that happens when you know that you have right standing with God. Not because you earned it, but because he gifted it to you. Abraham was counted righteous because he believed. And the second part of righteousness is right doing. And this is where we're going to today. We talked a lot about the grace of God and how abundant it is. I'm going to bring a balance to it today. Righteousness is right. What's number one? Right what? Right being, but also what? right doing. 1 John chapter 3 talks about this. Verse 7. I'll just read it very quickly. 1 John I'm fighting so hard not to come down this stage, you know. By now I'll be down here. Um, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is what? Is righteous. Just as he is righteous. Are you saying that? He's saying, don't be deceived. Can you hear me? Don't be deceived, though. Yes, we say that there's righteousness in Christ, positionally. But there is a righteousness that must be seen vitally. It says, the one who does righteousness is righteous. So this is the two parts of the coin of righteousness. First of all, positionally. We, we talked about it last week. Salvation is an inside-out thing, not an outside-in. You're not trying to use everything around you to make God pleased with you. But as he makes you righteous because of your faith, then that life, that new life begins to flow. It begins to show. Amen. 
That's righteousness. But the question is this. There's, there's a principle of righteousness that I want to explain to you. Righteousness can only be received by believing in the gospel, by putting faith in the gospel. When you put faith in the gospel, then you are credited with righteousness. Thank you. When you put faith in the gospel, you are what? You are credited with righteousness. So you, the question then is, where did Abraham hear the gospel to believe in the first place? If this is a principle, whosoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but what? Have ever, where did this guy believe? And in what did he believe? Let's open our Bibles to Galatians 3. Oh, this will bless you. Galatians chapter 3 from verse 5. And we're going to read till verse 9. Again, I said it's going to be a long read, but please bear with me. Galatians 3 from verse 5 to 9. Are you there? You sure? Are you tired? Are you learning something? Awesome. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles around, amongst you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's talking about himself and the apostles. The ones who are working miracles, is it by the works of the law or by faith that they work these miracles? It's a rhetorical question, right? And insulted them in verse 1. Go and read it. Oh, foolish Galatians. Ah. Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are what? Sons of Abraham. Those boasting in, in, in being children of Abraham, you cannot boast by being a child of Abraham, not just because you came from Abraham, but you also put faith in God like Abraham did. Verse 8, we're getting somewhere. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Ayate. Look at that. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand. This was the gospel. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. Eh? So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So it means that in Genesis verse chapter 12, if you read the narrative, he, he came to Abraham the first time he called him. And he said this, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was the gospel. So God preached the gospel to Abraham. He believed he was counted righteous. Are you seeing that? Now, for some of you, you're like, ah, this still doesn't make sense. The blessings of Abraham. So being in Sunday school, say, Father, you know, Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham's blessings are mine. Oh. I am blessed in the What are the blessings of Abraham? Many of us, we've sung it since Sunday school. We still don't know. Is it that God will bless you so much that you'll be wealthy? Did he bless Abraham like that? He did. Abraham was so wealthy, stinkily rich. And I asked God, wait, 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 wait. I, I know there's more to this blessing, but why did this guy, why was he still blessed like this? And I remember that, you know, my, my, my pastor told me this. He said that if you want to start a nation, you need resources. So that makes sense, right? But 
when you think blessings of Abraham, you must abolish that it had anything to do with something material or physical. I'll show you. Don't worry. I'll show you. Calm down. When there's Rema, just calm down. Okay. Genesis 22 verse 18. Let's open our Bibles there. Let me show you something. There was another promise that God gave to Abraham. And this is where it's going to make sense. It, it might seem, ah, uh-uh, in, in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. That, how is that really the gospel? So after God had demanded of this child that Abraham had labored so hard and waited so long to get, then God says, oh yeah, sacrifice him. Ha. Luckily, this guy passed the test. Abraham was successful. He, in fact, it's deeper than what people think. I'll show you something that will blow your mind. But he obeyed God. He was stopped just at the point of committing that act, and there was a substitute, a ram that was replaced instead of Isaac, right? Very powerful symbol there. But then this is what God says, Genesis 22, verse 18, verse 16, I beg your pardon, and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, your only begotten son, verse 17, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which are on the seashore. Look at that vision. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And when you look at that, you see that there was already a prophecy they would inherit the land of the Canaanites. Verse 18 In your seed, are you listening? In your seed. Now, he's not just saying, in your, through you, all families will be blessed. He's now specific. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I think it's important that even though the promises are given, there's obedience needed to fulfill those promises and prophecies. Do you believe that? Abraham obeyed God and he said, in your seed, all nations will be blessed. Look at what Galatians 16 has to say about this particular thing. I want to encourage you on an assignment for you. Read the entire chapter of Galatians 3. For some of you, you might need to go to chapter 1 and 2 to understand it. But read chapter 3. You would understand the whole thing. The epistles are an explanation of what was said in the old. So if you want to understand what was said, go to the epistles. The revelation of the Spirit through his apostles. Galatians 3 verse 16. Are you there? If you're there, shout Shambhala. All right. It's not tongues, by the way. Um, it says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed. And he says, who is that seed? Christ. Eh? Not even Isaac. Not even Jacob. So God Ah, this is powerful stuff. The promises to Abraham and to all the earth on account of Abraham's faith was that somehow down in your progeny and your lineage, someone will come. And because of this man, not just your people, the Jews, but even the Gentiles, Nigerians, Americans, Jamaicans, everyone will be blessed. What is this blessing? Let me show you. Galatians 3, same Galatians 3 from verse 14. Are you there? 
says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. In See, some of you, have never, you've never seen this like this before. The blessings of Abraham. He said oh, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Do you know who the Gentiles are? Simply anyone that is not a Jew. If you are not in Israel, born of Israel, associated with Israel, or converted to, to being a Jew, you are a Gentile. That, and he explains the blessing of Abraham. Can we read it together? One, two, go. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Come on, are you guys here? Let's start again. One, two, go. Might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive what? The promise of the Spirit through faith. This is the blessing. In those days when God will pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. Ah, since Abraham's time, this was the promise. That through one man, Christ Jesus, who will come from the bosom of Abraham, the lineage of David, the tribe of Judah, this man will give his life for the world and whoever puts faith in him will be counted as righteous. It's still the same gospel. For them, they look forward to it. To us, we look back at what had already happened. That is the picture. Oh, this is powerful stuff. Amen. The one who puts faith in Christ will always, always be counted as righteous. Praise the Lord. See, Abraham's faith was practical and very audacious. When I read the account of what happened with him and Isaac in Hebrews 11, it was talked about in Hebrews 11. If you can go there with me, that would be awesome. Verse 17. Hebrews 11, verse 17. Are you learning something today? It says, by faith, say by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac as he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Verse 18. Don't worry, she's excited for the word. <laughs> it says, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Verse 19, Abraham concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense, in a picture. Abraham believed the promise. He, and this is what Romans was saying when he says Abraham's faith grew. That he believed that, see, if God has said, if God truly, truly said that through my son Isaac and the generations to follow, through Jacob, Judah, and the likes, that from... Ah, that because of him and through him, the one who is to come will come. Then even if he asks of me to sacrifice this child, he will come back to life again. It's, oh. <laughs> Do you know how much faith it takes to believe that? That no matter what, if God asks of it, he will surely bring him back to life. Almost like a picture of what happened in salvation. Guys, the one who will be accounted as righteous is the one who believes in the promise and the blessings of Abraham, which is that Christ will come to the world, die for sinners, be buried and be raised after three days, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Still the same gospel. Glory to God. One interesting case that Paul was actually trying to make 
was trying to make a distinction. See, I've come down now. Oh. It's, trying to, <laughs> it's trying to make a distinction between how the law, that means by your works and your efforts, how people try to become righteous compared to those who believed like Abraham believed. And he says something powerful. One of the bedrocks of the law was a practice called circumcision. When you talk about the law, the law was a symbolic thing. The law was a picture and a shadow of the things that were to come, right? So when you look at the law, circumcision was actually a picture. You know what happens in circumcision, right? Do I need to go into the details? You, you understand? Amen. <laughs> Say yes, sir. <laughs> if you're a lady, you really don't understand. But uh, <laughs> that happened, right? But that was a sign of something to come. The, in fact, it's explained in Colossians, the cutting away of the flesh, of the old heart, of the old man, to receive something new. It was, a, it was a spiritual reality that was symbolizing circumcision. Then he says this, he argues and says in Romans chapter 4 from verse 11, he said, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. He's saying Abraham was righteous before circumcision. So therefore, circumcision cannot be what brings righteousness. Should I repeat myself? If Abraham was counted as righteous before he started the, the covenant act of circumcision, it means circumcision cannot be how people are counted as righteous. And by extension, any work of the law, whether the killing, in the, the killing of the lamb in the temples or observing the Passover, none of those things can make you righteous. What makes one righteous? Let me hear you. Faith in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You're paying attention. Glory to God. Let's talk about the second guy. So it makes sense. Abraham has given us a case for what righteousness looks like. Let's go to Dave. Who is Dave? Of course, right? And David, I love his story. Shepherd boy, very proactive. In fact, got so famous, killed Goliath. Exciting times. What a, what a beautiful story it was. Or was he perfect? <laughs> was he perfect? Many of us, we judge David, though. I mean, the things he did were terrible, but we judge him. As, she was, as Bathsheba was having a bath. <laughs> he couldn't help himself. He could have done better. Wait, I mean, him, his son, I mean, Solomon Self. I can't even start. That guy. Ah, no, he's good. At the end of his life, he says, see. Vanity upon vanity. I don't tire. Wife number 200 and... Please, go, go, go. Vanity upon vanity. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, David had his fair share of struggles, but this is what he says about David. Romans chapter 4. I'm going to verse 5 to 8. Romans 4 is another assignment for you. Read Romans 4. The entirety of it is going to bless you. Verse 5. But to him who does not work, but... To him who does not work. Now, some of you, your legalistic minds and your alarms are going off. What do you mean we should not walk? Are you saying we should not come to church? Are you saying we should not pray? We should just believe. I believe. Righteous. Finish. I want to do something. I want to walk. Relax. Don't worry. We're getting there. 
The one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. God who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Verse 6, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. He said this, verse 7, are you with me? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are what? Forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. He's like, I'm looking forward to a time where there's going to be a blessed generation. A people whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Those whom their sins are not imputed against them because they believe. This was a reference from Psalm 32. And just so you know, you know the famous text in the Psalms from David after he messed up was Psalm 51. Take not your spirit from me. (laughs) Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And renew your spirit within. The song is sweet, it's cute. But if you're already a believer in Christ, you're undoing what God has already done. You're asking him, don't take your spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of salvation and renew a right spirit. Which other spirits? But he had every right to pray this prayer, right? He was like, I'm a broken man. But he actually wrote Psalm 32 after Psalm 51. This is what he said. So he had recounted the story. He had understood exactly what had happened, how he messed up. But he still saw that God was gracious to him and his family. And he said, see, see, oh guys, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, oh, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is powerful stuff. David understood. He said, it seems like, and then he went on to write 103, as far as the heavens are from the earth, so far has he taken our sins from us. Oh my goodness. This is someone who had experienced the mercy of God. And it was counted unto him as righteous. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. But he was righteous. Because God forgave him. Do you understand? Let me read two texts for you. And then we're going to talk about something very quickly. I'm not good on time. (laughs) Titus 3. If you're fasting, I apologize. Titus. Titus. <laughs> Some of you are already thinking of that bread. It's okay. Now I'm getting hungry. Bread and sardine. Um, Titus 3, from verse 3 to 5. Are you there? I'm going to read <coughs> verse 3 and 4, but you're going to shout verse 5 to me like you believe it. Do we have an agreement? Titus chapter 3 from verse 3 and 4, I'll go. For we ourselves were once foolish. Yes, you, 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 amen. (laughs) Say, I was once foolish. Own it. (laughs) I was once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. Does that sound like you? Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, and when you see that word but, just sit down and say yes. This is, my, this is where I belong. It says but, 
See, both separates the tenses of your life, your past from your present. It says, but uh, when the kindness of God. Oof. Thank you, Jesus. When the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, <laughs> towards man appeared. Now, read your part. Not of oh. Oh, glory to God. When, when David said, renew a right spirit within me, this is your reality now. He, you've been renewed by the Spirit. Oh, your life has changed forever if you believe in Jesus. And he says, not by works of, not by works of righteousness, but by his grace. That's it. Not by works of righteousness, but an act of righteousness in faith to the Lord. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, you know this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your works or by your doing. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast, right? Praise the name of Jesus. Romans 5, verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, which is Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, and what? The free gift of righteousness. This is Romans 5, 17. The what gift of righteousness? It's free. Imagine someone gives you a gift and it's not free. Oh, happy birthday, my dear. Oh, I just got you this iPhone 15. Oh, that would be $1,000, by the way. Doesn't make sense. It's a gift. If it's not free, it's not a gift. And if it's not a gift, it's not salvation. Amen. Ah, glory to God. But he says something. Now the law came, verse 20. The law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is where I'm bringing the balance. He talks about this abundance grace, grace like a flood. It's so much, it's so powerful, so abundant. As you sin, there's grace to cover your sins. Your sins are like a drop of water in the Pacific of God's grace. And people are like, ah, wait, 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 wait. My alarms, my spider senses are tingling. Wait, relax. Are you saying we should continue in sin so that grace will just keep out? Maybe we're helping God. His grace needs to increase too. Let's do something to help his grace. And he said, don't suffer this grace. Listen to me. <laughs> Romans 6, the next chapter, this is still a discussion he's having with them. Romans 6 verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? I know you are asking these questions. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer to it? I'm going to talk about baptism in like three weeks' time. There's a picture of baptism where in Christ... Everything that happened to him would also happen to you. That as he was put under water, he, he died. He stayed for a few seconds, representing his burial, so that the old man is destroyed. He is brought back to, brought back out of the water to, to show a resurrection. And the spirit, like a dove, descended upon him. And that's what happened when you believed. You received the spirit. Does that make sense? So baptism is a picture of what happens. But you died to something, no. You died to your old desires. You died to those, when he, you know, Paul was writing to Titus, he said, that was you, you were foolish, past tense, disobedient, past tense. But some of you are like, ah, it's not really past tense for me, the way I'm seeing it though. It's still very present for me. But that's what the work of grace does. 
The work of grace is to empower you to live above sin. Praise the name of Jesus. To prove that what happened to you spiritually can happen to you vitally. Praise the name of Jesus. So we're not preaching a gospel where we're saying, see, it doesn't matter what, and there are a lot of people doing that today. They call them the progressive church. They are not progressive. They're very opposite. They say you can do whatever you want. God accepts you as you are. But they miss the other part. God accepts you as you are, but not to keep you as you are. He wants to make you like him. Amen. So you don't come on, on, on Instagram and say, I thank God that I love Jesus with all my heart, but I mean, I still lie, I still sleep around, and I'm attracted to the same sex, but I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. This is how God wants me to be, and I just accept it the way I am. You have, you have missed it. It's wrong. You are very wrong. And yes, truly, God accepts you as you are. See, there's no one God will ever turn away. You may be an Adolf Hitler, and he will still accept. Do you know if... Adolf Hitler accomplished his mission, wiped out everyone. Maybe even got crazy, wiped out his own people. And it was just him and one evangelist left. And the evangelist preaches the gospel and he believes. He will make heaven know. He shock you. <laughs> ah. And your, your, your righteous justice will shout, eh? Ah. Eh. Kikiski. How, 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 oh no. God is merciful. He is merciful. Can you just say God is merciful? And he is merciful to me. So that's not the gospel we're preaching. We're not saying live a reckless life because there's grace. In fact, Jude chapter 1 verse 4, Paul said it. He said there will be people who will come amongst you. He said it. That you pervert the grace of God and make it like unto lasciviousness and concupiscence. Making it say that oh, you, because of grace you can do whatever you want. He says such, throw them away. Push them out of your congregation. That's not what we preach. We preach a grace that lifts you to the standards of God. Are you with me? Praise Jesus. The Bible says our righteousness are like filthy rags. Isaiah 64 verse 6. There's nothing you can do to earn God's righteousness. Paul prayed for his people in Romans chapter 10. He said, I wish, this is what I was talking about at the beginning. He said, I wish that my people, like they're so zealous for God. But they had a zeal without understanding, without knowledge. Because they did not submit to God's own righteousness. Are you with me? He was talking about his, the Pharisees, who they were the most holy of holies in the land. But he said, even they, with their zeal, it means you can be in church all your life, doing the motions and the activities, and you are not righteous before God. Huh. That you pay your tithes, you give your offerings, you serve in 10 services in church, in service units in church, and to God it's like you. God looks at your works and he's saying it's filthy rags. Because the righteousness that is of God is the, see this will help you, listen. The righteousness that is of God is the one that is given because you believed. So if you stand before God and say, God, I deserve this from you because I did this. Even sometimes he finds its expression in little ways and we don't realize it. Lord, because I gave this money, I am entitled to this. Then you are saying the blessings of the Lord are earned by you. And you cannot earn the blessings of God. Is it good to give? Is it good to be generous? Absolutely. But because you love the Lord as a response to his love, but not to move his, his hand and manipulate him. Are you with me? The question now as I wrap up is this. Where do good works come in? Ephesians 2 verse 10. 
We've talked about grace. So where is works? If you're saying we're not righteous by our works, then what are we supposed to do? Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this. It says, for we are his what? Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. As a new creation, you are created in Christ Jesus. For what? Unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This was always his plan. When they had tried, think about it. By the law, the Ten Commandments, they had tried to obey God and always failed at every time. He's saying, look, there's a dispensation of grace where the law will not be written on tablets of stones, but written on your heart. And I will cause you to walk according to my statutes. It's, it's the same Philippians 2 verse 13 that says that God is what? Is working in you both to what? Will and do. It's an action of God through you. Amen. Amen. You are his workmanship. Say, I am his workmanship. Created unto good works. Hallelujah. So this is where good works come in. And I'm going to give you with these examples. Can you put them on the screen? I want it to stick. The first one is this. No, not this one. Good works, not this one. Good works. Go back. This is not the first one. Please work with me. Good works are receipts of salvation. Let's start there. And I want you to read it with me, all right? Are you with me? It says this. Read it to me. Good works are receipts of salvation and not the payment of it. So when you see good works, it's because something has been done in you. Are you with me? You're not using the good works as a payment to God so that you can receive salvation. Let's see the next one. Good works are a product of salvation and not the raw materials to get it. Are you with me? They're the product of salvation. Next one. Good works are the result of salvation and not the requirements of it. They're the result. Next one. Good works are the fruit of salvation, not the, not the seed for it. Next one. I think this is the last one. Good works are the returns of salvation, not the investment of it. So whether you're a banker or you're a farmer, all of this applies to you. Amen. So you get the idea. Good works are the result of something that God has done in you. Amen. Glory to God. And Abraham was that prophetic image of what God was going to do to all who believed in him. Now for the religious person here who's saying, I want to work, I want to work. I have a word for you from the Lord. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. From verse 26. Are you there? Maybe you are the type who just wants to do, do. Your relationship with God has always been performance based. Let me lift that burden from your shoulders. This is your Lord Jesus speaking himself. John 6, 26. He says, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and you were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes. You are coming to make me king because you ate bread and, 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 and sardine. <laughs> he said, but for that meat which endured unto everlasting life, 
which the Son of Man shall give you, for him the, the, had God the Father sealed. Then they came unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? We want to work. What do we need to do? So they asked Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? How did he respond? Verse 29. Read it with me. One, two, go. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Look at it. That is the work. Faith. Believe. I've given you overwhelming evidence. Now it's between you and your decisions. <laughs> is it by faith or by works? Overwhelmingly, he's saying it is by your trusting in Jesus. And believing Jesus is not saying, oh, I believe there was a man who existed one time, died on a Roman cross, and they persecuted him, blah, blah. It is putting your trust that if you're going to stand before God on that last day, and he asks you, why should I let you in? You say, because I am not worthy, but your son made me worthy. I'm not worthy, but you made me righteous. It is not by my works that I can come into your presence and into your kingdom, but your son has made it so translated from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son do you remember that that's your reality that's your life doesn't that help lift that burden from you that you're not just chasing regulations there's now a regulator in you oh powerful stuff say thank you lord because you've made me righteous so the only work god demands of you primarily is your faith but as James says faith without works is what dead and he's not saying works of the law he's saying faith without evidence that you believe what you've believed you can tell someone I believe I can fly and all you do is sing the song cry with all your I believe I can touch the other guy is climbing balcony I believe I can who believes more ah <laughs> uh -uh. so there, there <laughs> there's a lifestyle expected of one who has faith it's a lifestyle of faith. If you believe that you've been righteous and made righteous to look like God, to be perfect like he's perfect, to be righteous like he's righteous, then you must live as such. Amen. That girl, she's catching the rema. Oh, glory to God. <laughs> so what does this mean for us? I'm going to wrap up. Number one, God's righteousness cannot be earned by works. We've established that, right? God's righteousness cannot be earned by anything you do except your faith in Jesus. Number two, you brought nothing to the table of salvation. You brought nothing. What salvation looks like is you are going for a dinner that God hosted. Imagine God hosts you for a dinner and you are going, you say, ah, let, me carry my, ah, let me carry my plastic cup, my plastic spoon. And then you go there, the table is set, gold everywhere, golden plates you are trying to bring something that is worthless on that table. The only thing you could bring was the sin that made salvation necessary. Glory to Jesus. The last thing I'll say to you, number three, is carry a righteousness consciousness. This is where it becomes practical. I know many of you, you've not had it easy. For some people, I'm very jealous of people that when they come to the faith, I heard the testimony of a man called Dr. Michael Brown. This was a man who was addicted to drugs. He was, was just going about his life anyhow. He was just a serial drug addict. And he found Christ. He was worshiping in a band. He was just drumming. He was invited to drum and, and play music. And he heard the word. It touched him. 
and instantly the taste for that addiction died. He didn't go to rehab. I'm so glad for what God does in that way. But I've also seen a true believer be addicted and even after being saved, still needs to go to rehab. But no matter what, both of them are still experiencing a grace that is sanctifying them. Are you with me? So for some of you, slow. Maybe even yesterday, what are we saying? Yesterday, you did something you shouldn't have done. I want you to carry a righteousness consciousness. It doesn't mean you will not sorrow for sin. We'll talk about this next week. Where, where, do we, where does repentance come in? Where does sanctification come in? And where does forgiveness come in? We'll talk about that. But even when you know that you've messed up, just like Abraham fell on his face and laughed, you can get up again and say, God, thank you because I'm your righteousness. Thank you because you've forgiven me of my sins because I believe in Jesus. There's something I want you to recite with me. And please help me put it on the screen. I want you to say this. If you can remember this, write it down or coin it in your own way. It will help you. So just carry this righteous consciousness and not this sin consciousness. Amen. So I want you to say this to me. I belong to God. I belong to his family. I am at rest in God. There is no condemnation for me. I am accepted. I am closer to God than I've ever been before. I look like my father and he as he is my as he is righteous so am I. Glory to God. You belong to God. And he accepts you. We'll talk about this next week. There's so much to unwrap, but one of the things the devil will try to do to you is feed you with condemnation and guilt. It's never God's work. It's the accuser of the brethren that does that. But this is how you fight. There is no condemnation. Romans 8.1, for them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Hallelujah. I'm going to wrap up with this text. Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 23. And I mean it this time. Hebrews 10 from verse 19 to 23. Don't you just love the Word of God? The Word of God was designed to give you evidence so that if you are truly honest, all you have to do is accept it. And you don't wrestle with it. I'm going to read this powerfully, so... Oh, let this, let this bless you. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 23. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest... Ah, how is your posture... It's a posture of boldness. There's confidence now. Hallelujah. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So there was a symbolic veil in the temple that granted access. Now that veil was torn and Christ's flesh which was broken became that access for us. Oh, powerful stuff. Verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Oh, don't stay far. Draw near. Say draw near to your neighbor. Oh, glory to God. With a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance. You belong. Say I belong. If it is the presence of God, I belong there. Say that to someone beside you. I belong in God's presence. Ayatalekusatapai. It says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And an evil conscience denotes a consciousness and a conscience that is not one of righteousness. It said, come with that boldness, assurance of faith. 
and our bodies washed with pure water. <laughs> Sorry, anytime I read this, there's, there's something else that comes to my mind. Our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession is faithful in your life. The one who promised, is he faithful? Even if he has tarried, is he faithful? Even if it has delayed, is he faithful? Even though sight looks like something else, do you walk by faith and not by sight? I want you to pray to this God now. The God of promises. The one who keeps his word. The one who is faithful even in our unfaithfulness. I want to say, Lord, ah, I walk in a righteousness consciousness. I believe all that you've promised me in Christ Jesus. I believe that you're making me into the man and woman that you want me to be. Come on, pray right now. I want you to pray as loud as you can and say, Lord, all that you've promised me in Christ Jesus, my inheritance, the lifestyle of righteousness, I want to walk in it. I want to be zealous for good works. Where I have missed it, I am sorry, Lord. But it is your grace. It is your grace that helps. He gives more grace to the humble. Here I am, Lord. I've messed up. I've wronged you. But you've made me righteous in your son. You've forgiven me all my sins and sent your Holy Ghost to me. On this walk of salvation, help me to walk and help me to run. Enough of the baggage, enough of the weights. I run light. I run light. My walk of salvation is easier because of grace. For it is God who works in me both to will and do of his good pleasure. Ah, kalepelito, sumbra katai, ile falakati, bronte sikai, elima natumruku ufeletailike. This is my life now. I forsake my past. I walk in righteousness. Eleto brukai. Oh, just a few seconds. Express your desires to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.